0: E
1: And Mrs. Chana Liba Nathan this is in honor of their upcoming anniversary. May Hashem bench them both with many, many, many happy, 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 wonderful years together. And Chaim uh, Nitzchir, eternal life together. Um, in joy and happiness, only, only, big mazel and simchas in the family, a good health, and uh, only, only, only wonderful things all that you ask and all that you need and all that you want. Thank you so much. Another dedication tonight was both on the sheer and for the CD. This was by um, Enoch Kimmelman, and this is in honor of his father's site on the 9th of El Shmuel, Ben Chaim Velvul, May Hashem have a very great idea to the greatest of heights. May he channel much, 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 much blessings to you, to your family for Mazel, health, parnasah, v'archav, and only, only good things. And aksiva v'achasiva toiva, and a good keben sh'tiar, a shanatoiva m'sukah, very, very, very sweet good year uh, for you and your family, and um, all of the Jewish people. Thanks so much to those that have dedicated. All right, we are about to begin. And um, this week is Parsha's So the Parsha. The name of the parsha means kiseitse when you will go out. And uh, the theme of the parasha is going out to deal with that which is hard to deal with, that which is negative, that which is challenging. Because the verse says la'mochama," when you will go out to war. So here we are, we're going out to war. And going out to war can be very frightening. It can be very uh, uh, um, intimidating. How does someone... Go out to war with the proper attitude and with and in a, in a manner that is going to assure a victory. So the Torah tells us the next word, Ki When you will go out to war, Al Ovecha upon your enemies. The word Al Ovecha doesn't say in Ovecha with your enemies. It says Al Ovecha upon your enemies, which is telling you that we all have a super advantage. We have tremendous leverage over the Sahara, over everything that's negative in the world. And what's our leverage? Our leverage is that we have the superiority of being on the top. We are on the top, and that which stands against us is below us. And in every war, uh, there is a tremendous advantage from being on the high land. You know, in Israel, when they captured the Golan Heights, that was very, 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 very strategic and very, very, very important, because that gave the advantage of being high up as opposed to before uh, the war in which the Syrians had the advantage of that high point. Uh, those who have superior air power are always at a tremendous advan- advantage point in any war because when you're coming from above, when you have the strength, the ability, the power to bomb from above, from on the top, that is an extreme, extreme, extreme benefit that is a very, 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 very great uh, assistance. So we are told that you have the assistance over your enemies because you initially, when you just step out to war, not after a very, very, very long, fought out, bloody battle, but from the very beginning, as soon as we walk out and we leave and we're ready to dispatch and to go out to war, we are already on the highlands. We are already up on top. Al Ovecha on your enemies. And the question is, why? In what sense? How do we see that? What's the explanation? I mean, talk about Yetzirah, You know, who has beaten the Yetzirah? I mean, the, the Yetzirah has been the battle of all human beings from other Marisham. And we know that the, you know, everybody has, has, to some degree, succumbs to evil inclination. The Yetzirah is shrewd. He's powerful. He never gets tired. He doesn't have the frailties of a human being that gets weak and tired and exhausted. He's always on the job with all of his energy, with all of his power. And he's an angel. And we're human. So this is like a serious, serious battle. You know, Yaakov, Abiru, fought with the angel. It was only a one-night battle. And we have to fight with this with this Hara, which is a malach all the time. What gives us that certainty and the confidence that we're on the top? Also fighting that which is evil in the world? Think about it. How much good is there in the world compared to all that which is unholy in the world, that which is all that is ungodly in the world. So many people, so many forces, so many, so much of the world that is ungodly and that is unholy and in many ways opposed to Kedush. Especially if we're talking about the Jewish people when they received the Torah 3,000 years ago, you were dealing with a very, very, very hostile world. Today many things have changed already, as we've spoken about, as a result of our, our winning the battle. But Moshe Rabbeinu was speaking to the Jewish people way back then and he's already telling them not to be afraid of the big bad world. Big bad world, The big bad world might look so giant and so enormous but you have superiority because al you're on top of your enemy. So we need to understand
0: what is that
1: that we are on top of our enemy? Why are we on top of our enemy? Well, what sense is that superiority? So to understand this we zoom across the parsha and we get to the last, last story of Parsha's Ki Because in the beginning and the end, they're always connected. So the last story of Parsha's Ki is a special commandment. God commands the, the, the Jewish people, Zachar, remember, Asal Amalek. Remember that which Amalek did to you. Amalek, from all wars, the, 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 the most important war of the Jewish people and the ultimate war, the ultimate enemy of... Holiness. the ultimate enemy of God is Amalek. And Amalek needs to be defeated. And the Torah tells us that throughout all our lives, we have to remember that which Amalek did to us. So that what? We can harbor a hatred. So says Rambam. We should continuously have by thinking about their wickedness of Amalek, this can awaken in each and every one of us a very, very deep animosity and a hatred, and to do whatever we can to eradicate and to destroy any remnant of Amalek. So the beginning of the Parsha talks about going to war, going out to war, and the end of the Parsha deals with the most ferocious enemy, the ultimate war of all wars. And God says it's His war, Muhammad Hashem ba Amalek against Amalek Midorador. And from analyzing this mitzvah, and the nature of a Amalek, we will understand the beginning of the parsha when it says, when you go out to war, don't be afraid because you are always above and fighting your enemy from the high ground. Why is it and what can we see? What's the secret? What do we find in the word of a Amalek that tells us, that, that teaches us this, uh, this innate, in this we're talking about an inherent Superiority to holiness and to goodness over evil. And we can see that in Amalek. So let's analyze something. The mitzvah of remembering Amalek is a unique mitzvah. Zachor, remember, such Asluch Amolik. It says in the Gemara that Zachor, what does it need to remember? So the Gemara says in Mesachdis Megillah, Daf Yud Ches, page 18 of Megillah, the Gemara says, we would think when it says remember, Yachael Balev, we would think that you remember it in your heart. That in your heart, you remember, meaning it's enough to just bear in mind, heart, meaning, and thought. That it's enough to have our thoughts to remember what I want to No. So that, that's not what Zohar means. Keshur O'ymer Lod when it says, don't forget, Hare Shikha So the forgetting of the heart is already mentioned. Meaning when it says, don't forget, that means that if you're not forgetting, it means you're remembering it. It's in your thought. It's in your memory. When it says, remember, it's an addition to not forgetting. So it must be more than just having it in one's mind, bearing it in mind. So what is that? So that teaches us that it has to be with our mouths. There is a mitzvah to remember Amalek, which means to actually verbalize it. We have to say what Amalek did to us. Now, when do we do that? The mitzvah of remembering Amalek that we have to continue, that we have to say how do we fulfill that obligation? So there's various opinions in how that obligation is fulfilled. Rambam, and then we'll read to you the Rambam. Rambam is of the opinion that that's a constant. It's one of the mitzvahs that we have to constantly do. Rambam says over here, in the Laws of Kings, hey, mitzvah, uh, it's a mitzvah, perech, hamishi, the fifth laws of the Laws of Kings. The fifth perech, the fifth law. It's a mitzvah to destroy the descendants of Amalek. Like it says, It's a positive commandment. To constantly remember his evil deeds. The Ari Vasa, this, that he was uh, uh, lurking and, and waiting, lying in ambush and waiting to attack us the reason is to revoke as we spoke earlier an a, a animosity and a hatred as it says remember what Amalek did to you if you remember it in the mouth do not forget it in your heart okay fine but Raman says clearly that this is a mitzvah tamid always it's a constant mitzvah what does always mean? Does always mean all of our lifetime? Once a year? Once a week? Once a day? 24 hours a day? What exactly is that mitzvah? Well, Rambam says always. Now the mitzvah can't be always in your mouth because we can't have 24-7 all saying the whole time, Amolek, Amolek, Amolek. That definitely is not a good idea. I mean, obviously we have other things in our lives that we need to say and think about and the like. But yet, Rambam says always. <coughs> now there are the authorities who say, like Rambam, Nachmanides, who says that he asks, he says that, that the mitzvah is fulfilled. Like he says, I don't know what the zechira is. It's hard. Like I'm, 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 i i i, 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 mean, the, I mean, the, the words of the Rambam. Let me pull it over here. He says, um, "Oh, I don't know. Let let it to say this in, in our mouth? The Imloymar, maybe this means Maybe this means that we should read it communally with the community. And we do this once a year. Once a year, there's a reading in the Torah we call Pasha Zohar before Purim because Purim is the time of the year in which we're waging battle against the Amalek because Haman was a descendant of Amalek. And um, so it means also we read it once a year, fine. So in Rehman, is of the opinion, we read it once a year. Uh, the Chinuch, in his uh, Sefer of which is a sefer, which he describes the mitzvahs, says that the war against Amalek, oh, the mitzvah, remembering Amalek, is that one should make sure at least to remember it at least once in their lifetime. Minimum. Once in your life, if a person, Chas V'shalem, passed through their life and never mentioned Amalek, then they violated this commandment. But it seems like, that's what the Binchas Chinuch says on the Chinuch, that it seems like from the Chinuch that it's enough to do once in your life. Fine. But even those who say that we don't have to bear in mind, we're not obligated to remember Amalek every single day, they too are of the opinion, they too will agree, that if you do say Amalek every time you mention it with your mouth, you fulfill amends. Again, so there are opinions that say that we actually have to do it daily, all the time. And there are those who maybe don't hold that it's a commandment to do so. It's not an obligatory commandment, but it's something that you do get a mitzvah every day that you mention it, and maybe even a few times a day. Every time you remember Ramaleh, it's a mitzvah. Fine. And it's interesting that in Halacha, the Shlaha Kaddish brings that one should say, the, this Torah portion, this mitzvah, Zachar, which by the way, when we say to remember what Amolik did, it means to read this portion of the Torah. So the Shlach Kaddish says, Mitzvah Rabbits, it's a big mitzvah, that one should say this every day. And that's why in many sidurin, it is put into the Siddur, six zechiro, the six things that we should remember every day, and one of them is the parsha of Amolik. In Shulchan Arach, in in, in, in uh, the... Uh, uh, in the Code of Jewish Law in Orachayim in, in, in chapter 60 in Peretz uh, uh, Simen in Samach in Mogen Avram he brings Isa B'Kavonus he brings from the Arizal, Wubik from these, these when he brings that it means the, the Kavonus of the Ari and the like that these remembrances are actually a positive commandment of the Torah and therefore he says like this when we say Ahava Ahavas Olam the, 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 the bracha before, before Shema, before the reciting of the Shema, when you say Ubanu Bacharta and you've chosen us, Yiskar, we're supposed to remember Matan Torah. The Kerav Tanu, when we say the Kerav Tanu, you brought us close, then we're supposed to remember Maimed Har Sinai, the standing of Har Sinai, which I don't understand. It seems to be two things the giving of the Torah and also standing by Har Sinai. It still seems to be the same thing ha when we say, God, who brought us close to your great name. So in those words, Leshimcha ha to your great name, say Amalek. We're supposed to have in mind what Amalek did. What does it have to do? God, who brought me close to your great name. I have to remember Amalek. What does is, what is, Amalek have to do with your great name? Because we know that Hashem promised that his name will be incomplete until Amalek, Amalek is eradicated. So when we think about the great name, we're bothered by the fact that Hashem's name is incomplete and we have to get rid of our mole. So that helps us. Re- so at that point, when we say the Shemcha what we're supposed to think about to eradicate our mole. Uh L'hodos l'cha, you brought us close to you to thank you, to thank you. So from there we learn out, from over there, we're supposed to have in mind the Bhagavad Amran says, again from the Ariza, that our mouths should only be used to thank you and not to gossip. Like Miriam, who spoke Lashon Hara. So when we say Lahodas Lacha, one should think about Lahodas Lacha, I'm thanking you with my mouth, and I will not use my mouth to say Lashon Hara, remembering what happened to Miriam when she spoke Lashon So these are the things he goes through over here. So again, we can fulfill this mitzvah either when we have the Kavana during the Havas Olam, for those who don't have the custom to say these heroes every day, or for those who do have the custom to say it, again it's a big mitzvah to actually say it, and as we soon in a scene. It's not just about just mumbling a couple of words. Usually it's right at the end of we say it at the end of davening. we're not impatient setting we just want to just get through it quickly, to actually stop for a moment because this is if this part of davening is actually a a positive biblical mitzvah to remember what Amalek did. According to all opinions, you get a mitzvah when you say, or maybe even an obligation to mention Amalek every day. Now, there is another remembrance which is similar to this, which has both these qualities. Number one, it must be said in the mouth. And number two, it's a constant remembrance. And that is, remember the day of Shabbos. It's one of the six remembrances. It says, azim, ashabbos, remember the day of Shabbos to sanctify it. And the, uh, over there too it says that we would think it's only in the heart remember Shabbos in your heart. So the so the is so the, the Kahanim in Parshas Yisro, the Medrash of Parshas in Parshas Yisrael says, oh, when it says Shomor is here in Shabbos, observe the Shabbos, that means to appear Shabbos in your heart, never to forget Shabbos in your heart. When it says, zahar in addition to Shomor, observe, Zachor. remember, remember it means mention it, mention Shabbos with your mouth. So here we have, the mentioning of Shabbos and mentioning of Amalek are two mitzvahs which explicitly, two, two, two memories, two commandments that have to do with we have to verbalize them. The other ones, the other six things that we have to mention, not necessarily requires a verbalization. Like to remember, never to forget what we saw at Har Sinai, doesn't necessarily require, okay, there's different opinions about it, if we have to say it. But over here, mentioning Shabbos, And mentioning Amalek, these are two things that require that we should actually say it. But when do we mention Shabbos? When are we supposed to mention Shabbos? So even though the main mitzvah of Zachary Simeon Shabbos, to remember the day of Shabbos, is on Shabbos itself, to make mention of the holiness of Shabbos, we know we fulfill that when we say Kiddush. When we say Kiddush, we are declaring Shabbos as a holy day, and we're not doing it in thought, we're doing it with when we're, we're, we're articulating it in speech. But the Ramban says, over here as well, in um, Ramban and Parshat Yisrael, says that um, remember every day Shabbos, we should never forget it. We should never exchange it. We should never look at Shabbos as a regular day. We should never look at Shabbos as a regular day. So he learns around Bada's Monday that actually every day, it's a daily commandment to remember Shabbos, that Shabbos is special. And we fulfill that in every day when we say the Hayom, Hayom Yom, today is Sunday, today is Monday, and one of the things we say, Hayom Yom, Hayom Yom Echad L'Shabos, Hayom Risha L'Shabos, M'shen Yom L'Shabos, the third day, two Shabbos. It's the second day of the week, third day of the week, but when we're saying to the week, we're saying two Shabbos. Constantly remembering the Shabbos is special. So we have a mitzvah to speak about the holiness of Shabbos, the day of Shabbos, all the time. Okay. So we have these two commandments, unique to these two remembrances, that it is constant, all year long, every day in our life, and it must be verbalized. This will lead us to an, to an understanding of something very, very interesting. And that is a, a Medrish Tanchuma on this week's parasha. It says, remember what Amalek did to you. Kan here it says Zachor. And on Shamas it says to remember. Shney and both of them are equal. It's like the strangest things to equate. Remembering the remember the evil of Amalek. And remember the tranquility and the peacefulness and the beauty of shots So hard even to say the two things in one breath. And that's what the matter seems to be puzzled with. Like, but both of them it says, remember. So HaMelech picked up on this. Something was fishy. Something didn't. Something felt wrong with this. Shlomo HaMelech says, I said in my heart, Kemikra came Gamani the occurrences of a fool will also happen to me. In other words, if we take these two things, Amalek, which is the ultimate fool, Shabbos, which is the ultimate day of holiness, and spirituality, and divine connection. So Shabbos represents the tzaddik. Amalek represents wickedness and evil. And by both of them, you say, remember. So then Shlomo HaMelech says, so what benefit did I get from all of my righteousness if the wicked are also remembered forever? Kind of that's his question. Why did I, why did I work so hard on, on righteousness? On being wise? <laughs> and I, thought, I thought, that there will not be any remembrance of the wise man and the fool forever. And here you're telling us every single person to remember them both equally. In any case, the 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 the, 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 the medrash, concludes, it's not the same. And it gives a, a mashal, the medrash gives a mashal of why the remembrance of both are not the same. But there's, this idea is stated even stronger in another medrash, and that is the medrash, and, and I want to analyze that, the medrash called Pirkei de Rebelezer. Pirkei de Rebelezer are a certain medrash written by Rebelezer, the Rebbe of Rebbe Akiva. And over there, in Pirkei de let's bring it over here, it mentions an interesting thing, as an introduction, parenthetical, and we're going to use this idea a little later in the class, even though it's not directly related to what we're saying, I just want to mention it. The message begins that the reason that in Devarim, when Moshe suddenly brings up, remember what Amalek did, Moshe had a secret intention of here. You see, when we go back to the story of Amalek, there is a reason why Amalek attacked the Jewish people. The reason Amalek attacked the Jewish people was it says that the Jewish people started questioning there was no water and the Jewish people were complaining there's no water and the Jewish people said they were testing God if God is amongst them or He isn't. They just came out of Egypt and God had showed them so many miracles but for a moment they felt abandoned. They were thirsty and there was no one one handing them water immediately. So they started questioning if God is with them or not. So God got very upset. I am with you all the time, and you're questioning if I'm with you or not. So it gives a marshal to a father who's going with the son, and the father keeps on protecting the son from every, every problem, he keeps on protecting. And then suddenly, the, uh, 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 someone walks by, and the son says to the stranger, did you see that? you see my father? So the father gets upset. So he took the son, and he throws him to the son, because he was, not he was actually carrying his son on the shoulder. And suddenly the son meets, sees a stranger crossing and he says, did you see my father anywhere? His father says, what do you mean I'm carrying you and you don't know that, that, I am, that, that I'm here? So he threw him off the shoulder and a dog came and bit. And that's what happened with my mother. So the mentor says over here, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to remind the Jewish people of their doubts. I guess he wanted them to do tshuva and to recognize that they have to be careful to always trust in God and never fall into doubt. So Moshe, Moshe said, if I'm going to tell to them directly, they're going to be insulted. Or... They're going to be embarrassed. They're not going to embarrass someone publicly. So if I'm going to retell them, they doubted God. So the said, what am I going to do? So he said, remember what happened to, when Amalek came. Remember what Amalek did? So by the Jewish people remembering what Amalek did, so that's hopefully a hope, them. And the Midrash gives an interesting marshal, an interesting metaphor, an interesting analogy to this thing. And the Midrash says like this, the analogy is compared to a, uh, a king who had made and planted a magnificent orchard. Okay? The king has planted a magnificent orchard and to protect the orchard, he had some watchdogs. A friend of the king, a good acquaintance of the king, it, it uh, he saw some of the fruits of the orchard and he wanted a little taste. They looked so delicious. And he didn't ask... He didn't ask any permission and uh, he, helped, he decided to help himself to some of the delicious fruit. The king, he didn't realize that the king was watching from the window. And, but the dogs were there. And the dogs leaped and the dog attacked him. And it, and it, and it, and it, and it actually tore his clothing. And the guy, okay, barely you know, was saved from the dog. But so the king now wants to rebuke his friend for, for taking of the orchard without permission. But the king doesn't want to embarrass him or make him feel directly uncomfortable. So the king, the next time the king meets him, says, You saw that the foolishness of my watchdogs? You know, I put those watchdogs over there to protect the thing from thieves. And that watchdog goes and attacks my friend. But the king so obviously when he was trying to to give him a little bit hint, you know, I'm even Yogdan if you understand what he was saying. So Moshe Rabbeinu was telling the Jewish people, remember what Amalek did. It wasn't so much to tell them what Amalek did, but they should remember why Amalek came. It was because of their sin that they got in God. Fine. That's the parenthetical thought. Now let's go into the story. When Moshe Rabbeinu, the next part of the ministry, which is the important part, and that is that the Jewish people said to Moshe Rabbeinu like this, when Moshe told them, remember what Amalek did, um, really, Yisrael, the Yidin said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, our teacher. You hear? The Jewish people are complaining. And they're saying, Moshe, our teacher. We don't understand how, what, you're, what you're expecting of us. Kosov Echad, Omer in 1 passage it says, Zocheras HaShaselecha Amalek. Remember what Amalek did to you. The of Echad, Omer in 1 verse says, Zocheras Yom HaShabbos Remember the day of Shabbos. How can we fulfill both? You hear what the Jewish people are asking? That... They're saying these are, these are two, two commandments to remember. One is to remember Shabbos and the other is to remember Amalek. And how do you expect of us to be able to keep up? Zeh the ve'zeh This one is to be remembered and this one is to be remembered. Amalek Moshe, said to them, no, not a problem. Why? Lo dombe, not compared kunditun. You can't compare a cup of spiced wine the type of wine they still have in Israel today called konditin. Konditin is a wine that is mixed with honey and different types of spices. And it, creates, it, was, a very, it was considered a, a real gourmet kind of wine that uh, was made in Jerusalem. It was called yeah, konditin wine. So it's like that, that's like a, like a gourmet wine. The other one is a kois sholchoimetz, It's a cup of vinegar. So you can't compare these two cups. And Moshe says like this, zekois v'zekos. This is a cup and this is a cup. This is a cup and this is a cup. But, what's the difference? Zeh Lishmar. This one is remembered to guard. U'lekadish as Yom HaShabbos. To sanctify and make holy the day of Shabbos. Sheneh Zohar as Yom HaShabbos Likadsh. What's the purpose of the memory of Shabbos? To sanctify. Zeh, this one, Zohar remember lahashmi to annihilate L'hachris and to destroy, as Kol Zahri Shalom all the descendants of Amalek. i two. Two remembrance. both of them are to be remembered all the time. But one is a memory for destruction, and one is a memory to make holy, to connect to, to live, to to, to 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 be excited about. Fine. This is the answer. The message. Let's let's go back to the question. Really, what is being asked over here? What's the question? I mean, we can't say the question is merely that the Jewish people said to Moshe Rabbeinu, how can we possibly remember two things at the same time? I mean, if I'm remembering this, I'm remembering this. If I'm, if I'm mindful of this, I'm thinking about this. I can't be thinking about two, set, two things. You know, human beings can't think two thoughts at the same time. And especially since we say that these two things are both mitzvahs that are constant, you can't have us continuously thinking these two thoughts. This couldn't be the question. The reason it couldn't be the question is as follows. If we're talking about... The verbalization of it, the mitzvah to verbalize it, as I mentioned earlier, no one will ever say that there is a mitzvah to walk around all day long as soon as you wake up in the morning and say, Amalak, they can't do that. I mean you have to say Bodani, you have to say you have to speak to your family. I, I, so you can't occupy your mouth all day long mentioning what amalek did. So if anything, you mentioned it once a day. If you want to do the mitzvah, you're thinking, what mitzvah can I do right now? You can grab your siddur and say Zacharias Asher Amalek another time of the day. You don't have a mitzvah to actually say the remembrance of Amalek all the time. And the same is also, you don't have a mitzvah to say Shabbos, 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 all day long. So, but even if it comes to bearing it in mind, and, and maybe that is a constant, you have to have it in your memory, You can't say that that's what their question was, how can we remember two two things? Because we know that our six constant mitzvahs, in addition to this, our six constant mitzvahs, the Chedoch tells us six mitzvahs that a Jew has to have all the time. You have to believe in God, and you have to reject the notion of any other, that there shouldn't be any other God, okay? You have to love Hashem, and you have to fear God, and you also wo sasuru, you're not allowed to go astray, after your heart, and after what your eyes see. So these are mitzvahs that are a constant mitzvahs that a person has to constantly have. Okay, I mean, there's no question of how can you do both. Well, we have, we have many things that we, that we there are certain things that, are, that we can, we can kind of have it within our consciousness all the time. So why were there such a problem over here? I mean, we also have to remember the going out of Egypt. We also have to remember that we stood at Sinai. So these are also other mitzvahs of remembrance. Yet we don't find that the Jewish people are complaining, how can we do these two things together? So it must be that there is a specific conflict. There's something particular that has been bothering the Jewish people to remember in the fulfillment. They basically claim that this is too of a, This is an expectation that's impossible. You can't, you can't expect it of me, you can't expect it of us to remember Shabbos and to remember Amalek. So we have to understand what's the difficulty. And also, if the question would have been what—that how can we technically do the do these have these two memories at the same time? What is he answering them from a cup of vinegar and a cup of spiced wine? Now, why one of them you're remembering for good and the other one you're remembering for bad? Okay, if I can't remember two things at the same time, you haven't answered anything. I'm still stuck with the same question. So obviously, we have to say there's something deeper over here in what they're in what they're. Asking that is answered by what? That is answered by by um, by the answer that Moshe gave them. One is a cup of wine, and the other is a cup of vinegar. The other thing we need to understand, if you'll remember, the words of the Pirkei derabbi Eliezer are very, very powerful and very, very mysterious. Moshe Rebbe says, "This is a cup, and this is a cup." He doesn't only say, "This is." You know, you have two cups, and you can't compare a cup of vinegar to a cup of spiced wine. That's all he should say. And if anything, he can say, this one should be remembered for good, and this one should remember to eradicate, to destroy, fine. To spill out, whatever. But he doesn't say that. He adds adds one, one mysterious phrase. He says, this is a cup, and that is a cup. What is, the, what, is, what is the meaning with these words? This is a cup and that is a cup. There's something very, very deep in here. Especially in this that he compares it to vinegar. We're going to see in a moment. To understand this, let's go... See, the hardship the Jewish people had with the combination of these two remembrances... Is that with that when we have a mitzvah to remember something? Let's think about for a moment. What is unique about mitzvahs that are when God is commanding us to remember something? So there is something unique about that. I mean, we have six hundred and thirteen commandments, and the six hundred and thirty commandments vary. There are mitzvahs that are related to action, mitzvahs that are related to speech, and mitzvahs that are related to thought. But even though each mitzvah is related to a certain activity, like we learned in Tanya, the three garments to a person, thought, speech, and action. And the some mitzvahs, you, ex- you express through action. Some mitzvahs you do through thought. And some mitzvahs you do through speech. But we understand that really, in truth, every mitzvah is supposed to be done with a certain wholesomeness, as a whole person. For example, when you're doing a mitzvah of action, you're supposed to do it mindfully, not just doing the action. You're supposed to have your mind in it. And many mitzvahs we also say a a blessing, so you engage your speech as well. Mitzvahs that are are mitzvahs of your mouth, like saying a bracha, we all understand that it's not just saying a bracha without thought. One should say it, but also think what they're saying, right? And also we understand that mitzvahs that we're speaking are also supposed to affect us in action. Like we know there's a mitzvah to study Torah with our mouth and speech, but we know that what's the purpose of studying Torah? Lilmo, Lami, to learn and to teach. Lishmar to observe, ulases, and to do. What we learn is supposed to hopefully translate into proper behavior, which is Torah behavior in our life. So even the mitzvahs that are designated to a certain part of our, one of our garments, it requires a full, a full involvement. That's what all mitzvahs, the mitzvahs where God says remember, those mitzvahs are calling for a complete, being completely completely, completely immersed in the performance of that. Ebers is just telling you remember, there's a strong emphasis to remember, memory means recall, but recall doesn't only mean just vaguely recall recall means relive put yourself in the place, you have a memory and take, allow vivid experience of that which you're remembering. We all have stories in our lives in which we've seen something, we've been somewhere, we've seen something that was either very, very, very special, very, very unique. Someone was describing to me last week that they, they were in, uh, uh, it was in Missouri, I think, by the eclipse, and he was telling me how in, tot- in, the, in what we call the totality, and he's describing to me like I'll never forget it all his life. It was something so extraordinary. He says, you didn't know if he's a You didn't know if you were awake or if you were dreaming. It, it just had such a crazy feeling. It was so surreal. So okay, you say people sometimes see something like that and they can't forget it. God forbid you see something very traumatic. It, it remains as part of you, and then you can, you know, you, you, you lose yourself at times. You you go back into that memory and you literally can can panic if it's something that was frightening, or you can be filled with pleasure going back to an amazing moment in which you met the greatest person. And people like relive it and it gives them health. Right, So we can understand that reliving, that, that's what it means, a memory. And we, the Jewish people, in our collective memory have a story, an event, the, 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 the war of Amalek. And the Torah is telling you, relive. The Torah is telling you, remember when you stood by Harsina. It means that we the Jewish people have the most powerful experience we stood by Haar Sinai. So take a moment in the day and stand by Haar Sinai. Feel it. Feel it in every cell of your body. Feel it reverberating through you as you're standing in front of Haar Sinai. Feel the exodus, the going out of Egypt. That's the remembrance. So therefore, here's where we have a problem. Because as long as we're dealing with the commandments we spoke about earlier that are constant commandments, as long as the as a person can they're all relating and they all support each other so you can have two thoughts or two experiences and they kind of complement each other so we said before there's a bit to love Hashem and to fear God and to believe in Him and all them three of them are constant okay believing in God loving God and fearing God all work in unison because they're all like kind of the same thing having a a a a living reliving experience a vivid Experience of Shabbos and having the experience in a very real way of Amalek is a contra- is an inherently contradictory experience, which which doesn't go together. Well, let me explain why. You see, what is the theme of remembering Shabbos? What is the point of remembering Shabbos? What is it all about? Remembering Shabbos for what purpose? Remembering Shabbos for what purpose do we remember Shabbos? What's its What's its objective? Why do we remember Shabbos? Remembering Shabbos because when we remember Shabbos, we're remembering the week. And what's this? What's the idea of Shabbos? It's testimony that God created the world in six days and the seventh day rested. Basically, that create that the world was created that we're living that we are created beings. That's the memory of Shabbos. That the world is not a cantilune. The world did not always exist. The world once was not, and this world was brought about, or the world did not just come about through some some accident. The world was brought about through an intelligent being who created this world with intelligent design. God, the creator of heaven and earth, created the world. And we constantly bear testimony to that by having by keeping Shabbos. It's our ois, it's our edus, that God created the world. If God created the world, it's not just that God created the world once upon a time, but that God, who is the creator of the world from absolute nothing, is the master over the universe. If He's the master over the universe, means He's the controller of the world. He controls every single thing that's in this world. He's the absolute controller who controls every everything. Nothing has power. Only Hashem is the only powerful one, controlling everything in this world. And therefore, by remembering that, we we'll remember to be subservient to Him and to serve Him, and we whatever we need. We turn to Him, and we have complete trust, and that we know that if we're doing what God wants us to do, He's going to take care of us. All of this is based on that firm memory that God created the world. So, so when we're thinking about Shabbos, even during the week, we bring ourselves to that Shabbos moment, so even for a moment in the day, say, Ah, God created the world. God is in charge. He's the master of everything, and to Him I dedicate and devote myself. In other words, Shabbos leads us to the complete acceptance of God as our king, to be completely subservient to Hashem. Fine. That's Shabbos. Shabbos is God as the ruler over the world. Now, what's the memory of Amalek? What's Amalek? Amalek is a people that did what? That represent a people, they are a people that fought against God. Okay, now there are many... There are many nations in the history of the world, there are many peoples that are that were anti-holy and anti-godly in this world. There is much evil in this world. But we have, to differentiate between, we have to differentiate between the evil, the evil of Amalek and the evil of all other nations. The other nations could be oblivious, could be denying of God, could be... Could be uh, There are other nations that could be oblivious it could be denial of Hashem and the like. When? At a point, at a time, when God is hidden, concealed. Because God did hide Himself. So we understand, because Hashem gave free will and Hashem has hidden Himself so much from His creation, it's possible that someone should choose to ignore God. That we we'll not understand. The thing about Amalek, what made Amalek unique is that Amalek came and challenged and fought against God after God openly displayed His power, Hashem made a stand, or Hashem made a powerful, powerful superstatement in this world. I am the ruler of the world. When God took the Jewish people out of Egypt, when He split the sea, all the nations of the world were trembling. Everybody realized that this world is ruled by a master.
0: And it was right at that time that
1: Amalek had the chutzpah, to stand up and in the face of God say I ignore you and I'm going to fight you I, do not want, I don't acknowledge you not that I don't know not that Amalek has any questions hypothetically they know that God created the world the, 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 the Gemara refers to Amalek and says an interesting phrase He knows his master When and he intends to rebel against him that's the ultimate evil can't even be worse than that one thing, okay, you say he's ignorant. One day he's going to learn something is going to make him or her aware of God and they're going to accept the serve Hashem. But here you have someone who clearly there's nothing you can do. And no matter how much you will show me your power and your strength, I'm going to fight you. Why? Because that's who I am. I'm all about negating you. This is chutzpah. Like we once gave a whole class about the essence of Amalim being the ultimate chutzpah. So it's the ultimate rebellion about of God and the ultimate denier of God's control. Now, now imagine something like this. I'm supposed to inculcate. I'm supposed to carve into my psyche by remembering the day of Shabbos, I'm supposed to come to a place of a vivid and real realization that God controls everything. Everything. Hashem is full control over every aspect of the world. He is fully directing all the natural forces, if there's a the, the, the flood happening in Texas right now, for whatever reason, we don't understand why, but God decided to do that. It's not just because of global warming, with this happening, with that happening. God is the one who decided that this deluge or this flood should happen, should, should help, that there shouldn't be any more harm from it, Or any, 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 anything, but only minute little things to the point where I stub my toe and I hurts. Or I stick my hand in my pocket and I want to take out a nickel for the meter or I stick I took out a, a Canadian coin and I can't use it in the meter and it's frustrating. That's called cool that God did that that made me make that mistake. Every little tiny thing in my life is Hashem making it happen. So I'm supposed to come to that realization by thinking about Shabbos because Shabbos God created the world. And then at the same time I'm supposed to realize and think about Amalek. And what does Amalek say? Amalek is saying openly that God is not in control. The mere fact that there can be a nation in this world that's that that, that that snubs God, a nation that the world that lacks at God, the nation that the world that says God, I don't care. We don't we do we we're not we don't surrender to you. We're gonna fight you. So what is that? And, and what does what does the sage say? What did Amalek do to the rest of the world? They cooled everybody off. When it was a time when everybody was supposed to be surrendered to Hashem, Amalek went and they, they and they caused everybody not to surrender. So which means Amalek is the total antithetical effect. of of getting excited and warmed up to God, Amalek brings about a sense of, of hefkeris. Hefkeris means you do whatever you want. There's no control. There's no... So here's the question. The question is not so much a theological question. The question is not so much an abstract question. How can there exist something in this world in some abstract theological discussion? Evil, how can if God created the whole world, how can evil exist? That's not really the question. Is even though that's part of it, but that's not really where the question is. Over there, there's all kinds of philosophical answers and things we can discuss. The question over here is: You're giving me a mitzvah of zecher. What is the mitzvah of zecher? Zecher means I have to emotionally put myself into a place to feel, to feel, to feel in every fiber of my being that you, God, are the master of my life to the point. As I said earlier, that you're totally relaxed in every situation. You never have anxiety. You never have stress. Because if you know you're in God's hand and you're doing what Hashem wants, okay. He'll take care of you. So that's supposed to be so powerful. Even though you're coming across a nasty boss and you're coming across other difficulties and hardships, you're calm, you're happy, you're relaxed, you're fine. You're in a total shabbos state. You have no worries in the world because there's no one in the world that can hurt you. God is fully in control. Hashem is doing everything. It's Shabbos. And Shabbos is so real to you smell Shabbos. Your king, you bring yourself to that still you smell the deliciousness of Shabbos and it creates this complete sense of you're in a world controlled by an absolute good and there's no other power in the world besides this powerful goodness and that's Hashem. But at the same time I have to remember what our Malik did. And what did Amalek did? A nation that, which means there are forces in this world that are evil, that are, that are, that are, are ugly that are at, at war with God. Oh, so, so how does that fit? How do these two feelings? And you should know that this is unique about the Jewish people. See, the Jewish people never were a people who dismissed the world and closed their eyes to the reality. Hashem didn't want that of us. He, we're not just people who locked ourselves up in monasteries or put our head in the sand and believe We have our faith and we have our belief and let the whole world go down. Who cares what's happening? That's not who we are. We're responsible for the world. We have to recognize, we have to be aware of what's happening in the world. Why did Hashem give us this mitzvah of eradicating Amalek? Because He's telling us as Jews, you're responsible, there shouldn't be something in this world that negates me. And therefore, you have to go out and fight it. Oh, but in order for us to do that, we have to be very, 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 very strongly and sharply aware. Enough! Here's the thing. Rambam says that the memory of Amalek means that it's so strong, we feel so strongly this opposing force that we feel an anger towards it. And therefore we, are excited, we get the, the the anger that needed to go and destroy it. Oh, but so the feel behold it, that feeling that there is a power that fights and is against God, doesn't that contradict the sense that God isn't absolutely in control? If there are powers that are totally in negation of Hashem? It's a total contradiction. How do the two things go together? That's what the Jewish people that's what the Jewish people um, compl- uh, complained to Moshe Rabbeinu. They said, Moshe Rabbeinu, we cannot do this. Hear the answer. And it's so deep. It is so deep. What does Moshe Rabbeinu say to the Jewish people? How can you compare? One is a cup of spiced wine, and the other one is a cup of vinegar. What is- see, Moshe Rabbeinu is choosing vinegar for a very, very, very important there is something very, very unique about it. Because if all Moshe wanted to say is something that's not edible, something that's kind of bad, so then I mean, there's so many other things he could use. Why is he using vinegar? You see, vinegar is unique in a few things. Vinegar itself is not an edible, it's not a drinkable drink. It's, it's sour, it's, it's, it's bitter, it's, it doesn't have a good taste. Vinegar. However, it itself is not good, but you can mix it into other things and it can enhance the flavor of other foods. Vinegar is one of the cooking... Uh, one of a, uh, 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 a, a cooking, uh, what do you call it, uh, garnish. Uh, it's a cooking um, uh, spice, if you can say, that enhances food. That's number one. The other thing about vinegar is that the, the Gemara says in Yuma that vinegar itself has a quality that it's, it, it's, it's What does that mean? That it could re- restore your soul. What do we mean by that? The Allah is Yom Kippur. We have to fast on Yom Kippur, right? So the Gemara says in the Sattis Yuma that if you eat foods that are totally not edible, you're not liable for eating on Yom Kippur. If you eat food that's totally not edible, you're not liable for, for eating on Yom Kippur. So the, the Mishnah gives an example. If you, drink, if you drink fish sauce, I'm not talking about a good fish sauce. I'm talking about just natural fish Yuki, the whatever that comes out of the fish. The, the, so that sauce, it's not edible, it's not drinkable. If someone drinks that as a drink. They did not violate any in Kippur. They're not held in Kippur. So the Gemara says, why does it say fish sauce? Why doesn't it say vinegar? From this that only the Mishnah says, only fish sauce, which is far more extreme, and it doesn't say vinegar, is a sign that the Mishnah holds like Rebbe.
0: And Rebbe who
1: says that if you drink vinegar on your Kippur, you're liable. Why? Because even though it's not, it tastes horrible, it doesn't have a good taste you still feel better. It like made you, it restores your soul. The person that's hungry feels like faint and weak. You drink vinegar, you feel a little better. Okay, so vinegar, we can't, it's not on the list of something that is totally bad, number one. But there's something else unique about vinegar. And that vinegar has a history to it. Vinegar doesn't start as vinegar. Vinegar starts as wine and the wine becomes Wine that goes bad, I don't know, I, mean, I guess they can maybe make vinegar out of other things, but the, the vinegar that's usually discussed in the Talmud is vinegar that comes from wine. Wine that goes bad becomes yayache, it becomes vinegar. So, so, and what's unique about that? Again, if we're looking for drinks that are not drinkable on their own, uh, they're not they're very sour, it doesn't say lemons. See, lemon's, the difference between lemon, lemon is essentially a sour, Sour. Unless you mix it, you make lemonade. You know, when you mix it, you make it sweet a little bit. The lemon is very sharp, sour. It, it, it's not. It's. It's not good. And it begins that way. That's what it starts. Vinegar is unique. Vinegar started as wine, which wine is a fine delicacy. Wine is an ultimate of taste and drink and flavor. And the wine went bad. So Moshe Rabbeinu is a purposely. Comparing Amalek and consequently all evil in the world to vinegar. What Moshe Rabbeinu is saying is I need you to understand one thing Moshe says. That that which is evil in this world also has a source. Initially everything comes from God. We don't there's nothing in this world that is absolutely bad and has 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 begun and has started. It's, its, its very, very inception is evil. There's no such a thing. Since God is the absolute source for everything, for all of creation and everything that exists, and God germinates all of existence from absolute nothing, so you have to say that the very seed, the seed, the seed, the, 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 the germ, the beginning, the very nucleus from where evil begins, that too is good. Like why? It comes from why? That means evil too has a shoresh in holiness and has a root of holiness. Evil too, so what does that mean? Let's understand that. That means that ultimately, if God, who is absolute good and wonderful,
0: brought about a
1: creation, included in his creation are evil and negative things, we have to say that those evil and negative things in some way are in support of holiness. And they too are here to reveal something good and holy and godly. But how is that? How is evil something that, if it's evil and if it's bad, and it's and especially when it translates into the ultimate worst enemy, an enemy that God can't tolerate. God says, as long as they're alive, my name is incomplete. This is totally diametrically opposed to God. Yet that too is included in God. It's not. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist outside of Hashem. That too is included in God. Because what was its foundation? And, it's not, and God never lost control over it, even when he created it. Oh, what is it? So how, how do we understand? It? How do we understand something that's... So first of all, the, theologically, the, 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 the idea that evil exists and something that is totally against God exists Points to something about God that we wouldn't know if the world, if the all, if all there would be in the world would only be good. And that means we would not know the extreme of God's omnipotence. What is it meaning? We know that the Ebershers in in in, in 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 Torah we say the Hashem is a kol yachol. Kol Yachal means an omnipotent being who can do anything. So what's the doing anything mean? He can create. Number one, even though he's everything and everywhere, he can create things outside of him. What I mean is not, it's not possible to be outside of him. God can create outside of him. Not only can create outside of him, he can create things that everything about them is fighting him. Hold it, but he's the whole power, it's all him. Yeah? If he couldn't do it then he would be limited. see? So he can create he can create enemies. He can create entities that fight him. When, when in truth, all oh, their entire existence is Him, yet He can create because He can do anything, and therefore He can create something that is, that is opposed to Him. So that's telling us something about God's omnipotence. So evil is demonstrating something that, like the Gemara says, that when the Jewish people, after the destruction of the English had a hard time, they wanted to take out from David, they wanted to delete certain certain things because they didn't have a hard time saying it. One of the things they wanted to delete was when he said HaGadol HaGibor that Hashem is great Hashem is strong. They wanted to delete the word HaGibor strong because they said what do you mean God is strong? The, 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 the enemies of God are dancing in His in His sanctuary. They're piercing the Aron with spears and they're claiming they killed God. God forbid. That's what they said. And, 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 and if he's not doing anything about it. Why? Well, where's His where is his friend where is his awe where is his power and the sages said no 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 no. the very fact that he can sit still that God who created heaven and earth there could be something so monstrous happening and Hashem can be so hidden see there's two powers in Hashem he can be so present and he can be so removed if he cannot be completely removed it would mean a limitation so he has no limitations So the existence of evil also is demonstrating the truth of the in-soul, that he can create even something that negates him. That's not one, but that's... But that's a very abstract, abstract truth of God that is revealed in what? It's revealed way up here, the thinking mind of an abstract thinker he can see in the existence of evil. That too is a demonstration of... Tangible, the tangible reality down here, when we see evil in the world, it makes us question the existence of God. Take a look how many people have gone through the Holocaust and seen the Nazis and seen evil that, that, that as a result of that rejected Hashem. How can there be in God's world that God created the world? How can there be such a hell? How can there be such suffering? How can there be such monsters if God is the source of everything? Oh, so in truth it's not a question. Because we said earlier, that too, that there can be something, is part of the, of, of the Ain Sof of Hashem. It's, it's the, it's expressing God's true omnipotence that something against Him can also exist. Fine. But, but, but how is that revealed, revealed in the world to be seen? Einod that there's nothing but God. So, so, so over here, there is, yeah, over here is like this. But the ultimate, fundamental idea is a od moldado There's nothing but Him. Being that this world is created from Him and, he, and has no other power, no other source but God, that means that everything is Him. Everything. Every person, every event, every occurrence, the brightest moments, the darkest moments, the moments of the greatest revelation, the moments of the greatest concealment the moments when I'm, when I'm flying in the high, and the moments I'm in the deepest dungeons of darkness, the deepest falling that I've fallen, any aspect both of our private lives, or in the great world around it's all. everything is Hashem. Everything is Hashem. However, we have to make a very strong distinction. And that is, there are things that are expressing that God is as they are. They don't need any temperament. As they are, they express God's truth. When you see the beautiful kindness of another human being, people today going out on boats and maybe even risking their lives in trucks and in boats to go save other people, that ability to transcend yourself or put yourself in danger to go pick up other people and pull them into the boat, that's a godly act. That is showing, reflecting the goodness of the Creator. Even in a time, when at the same time, people, you have a Chirachaf, free choice. People can run and plunder and break into stores and steal equipment when there's such chaos and so and such things. They can loot. People are running around saving others. That is a reflection of the beauty and the goodness of the Creator. Of course, when a Jew does a mitzvah, a mitzvah is open demonstration of God's will, of God's wisdom. When a Yid studies Torah, in this world are fully, openly manifestations of the divine, of Hashem's truth in an open, tangible, revealed way. But then, are those things, they too are God, but they take a little tinkering in order for us to discover the godliness in them. And the tinkering involves two types of tinkering. One type of tinkering is the only way you reveal that this is godly is by crushing it and destroying it. In other words, it was created for it to be destroyed, and when it is destroyed, it reveals its truth. What do I mean by that? When there is a power in this world that fights God, and it flexes its muscles, and it gains strength, and it is, and, and for a while, it seems like a contradiction to God's unity, especially when it oppresses people who are trying to re- that are representing God. For example, the perfect example: take the the, the communism, the Soviet. Union. Here you have it, a monster, a gorilla that was in this world for seventy years, oppressing, bringing about so much, so much horror. Stalin killed how many billion people, and how many people were sent into the gulags and to Siberia? Horrible,
0: horrible, horrible!
1: A monster. And you wonder, as we said earlier, it's it's a negating Hashem, negating Hashem in the biggest way, and it was a country based on denial of God. that, 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 that was its foundation—denial of Hashem. So, but we have to say that that too is godly. How is it godly? You know, how does it is godly? 26 years ago, it was gone. It disappeared. How did such a mighty, powerful country, I don't mean the country disappeared, but the whole ideology disappeared? The whole power disappeared. And how did it appear? It just, it just poof, in thin air, boom, Kikandian, Caputo, gone, as if it never was. How? Why? Because something that denies God is not. inflate, let it grow, and it's very inflation like on, He inflates and he inflates and he inflates, but since he's based on something that's fake and not true and an and, 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 and imitation, it's going to inflate, it's going to inflate, it's going to inflate, and boof! What's the bubble burst? It's nothing. That itself is, the, is a demonstration of God. There are those who demonstrate God by proclaiming and by serving Him, by recognizing Him, and those who who reveal God by them being the ones who are here to demonstrate how someone or something that is against holiness will cannot exist. It might it and here's the thing: the more it appears that it is power, the more it ensnares people. The more it creates an illusion that it is powerful, and then that mighty great power that seemed to create an idea that there is that there is otherness in this world other than God, when it is destroyed, then why? What is it seen? So then you have to, have, why was it destroyed? Why is it destroyed? And that little people called the Jewish people, who've had so much done, so much was invested to destroy, to eradicate, to exterminate them, to wipe them off the face of the earth, they're still here. Those few yiddle, yiddle, yiddle in Russia with the beards that, 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 that did keep Shabbos alive and mikvah alive, and those things are continuing in the Soviet Union. That's in a big, massive. And the Soviet Union itself, Kaputo, gone. That's the ultimate demonstration to God's truth. See, the it's demonstrating that even when you have a contestant to God's truth, that contestant cannot, is, is defeated. Its very defeat is an expression of the Amistur's emes, of God's truth. So one way in which the evil demonstrates the truth of God is through its destruction. As the words of Chazal they use sometimes, of the shattering and the breaking of something, that's its tikkun. That's its rectification. That's its ultimate. And that's how it too is now, is part of the expression of the abisterous union of Hashem's oneness. Perfect example of that was there was a man by the name of, oh no, that'll that be the next stage. Oh no. So that's all evil that the end is defeated. Including Amalek. What's Amalek? Eventually Amalek is destroyed. Kaputo, gone, destroyed. A force that stood against God doesn't exist in Another way we can deal with evil, to demonstrate that evil too is really coming from God, again, that vinegar comes from wine, it, has a, it starts off with a holy intention, even though its manifestation over here is sour and negative. There's another way that that reveals itself. When it is transformed to bad, when the energy that's in it is taken out and it's re- redirected, Towards, towards holiness, well, oh, that's another way. That's called transformation. When let's say someone who is sinning does tshuva, when a wicked, when a wicked, when a wicked person admits. The perfect example would be there was a man by the name of Yisro. Yisro was the ultimate idolater. Okay, he was like the pope of idolatry. He served all the idols. He was like the master of idolatry. And when Yisro came and admitted. That God, I now I know that God is greater than all God, and all that all that God is the only power. Not only was that a tremendous kiddush Hashem, the Zohar says that until that moment God could not give the Torah. Before that darkness was transformed to light, the Torah couldn't give. But I think not, there's something very deep here. What's deep here is like this: from the very re, from the very moment Yisrael was born, and he was born to parents that probably educated him this way. And God provided all the the, the, uh, assistance that Yisro should become the ultimate denier of God's unity by proclaiming all these idols was only for one purpose, that this great denier of God should one day come and the greatest one should stand and it would be written in all the newspapers and say, now I too admit that God is the God of all gods. That's transformation. And, that, and that's how evil, too, makes a contribution to holiness. In our lives, these two, these ways of dealing with negativity is, is dealing with sahara, dealing, dealing with all the negative around us. There's two ways to deal with it. You wonder, why is it that if, if God created the world, why do I have an appetite for such non-kosher things? What's that Sahara? What's that evil? Why do I deal with all that garbage? What do I do with all that garbage? The answer is... It was created that you should proclaim how true God is by you smashing every thought that comes your way, any any thought suggesting something other than a mitzvah, something other than what Hashem wants you to do. And when you deny it, you are revealing God through that because you're saying that you you exist, that I should deny you. You're breaking it. That's number one. God forbid if a person sinned already. So imagine all the negative things that are out in the street, that we look at them as if they're so powerful and they only exist to tempt us. And that we should say no to them and that's their only existence. That's the reason they exist. And that's their... And that's why they too are part of Achus Hashem. A Yit Kindur is a billboard that I'm not supposed to look at. It's not a kosher billboard. That billboard is the unity of God. How? Because it gives me an opportunity or you an opportunity or any person an opportunity to fulfill Hashem's commandment of not looking at something you're not supposed to see. Isn't that amazing? And then that billboard is screaming, Hashem Jesus, isn't that wild? I think that must have been one of the wildest things I've ever said in a class. Came right now. That billboard, imagine that, that billboard that's the most despicable thing that's 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 out there. And some really ugly ones are out there. And and, and and when you're not looking at it, you're not looking at it. You that, that, that is crying out. That too is part of God's unity. It is. Because it is saying. Shema Yisrael. Is claiming that it's it's here, so it can serve Hashem. But how about if I looked? And how about if I looked, and I looked, and I did a sin, and or whatever? How about if we do averus, and we did it already? We have already the bad stuff in us. Ooh. So now what? All that negativity and all that garbage created within us a dark space of death, a deep dark space where God isn't. And that space, and that empty space, that void. When I suddenly realize that I have a, a space of me is eroded. My soul, my being is eroded. The darkness is a deep erosion. And over there there's no life, there's death. I suddenly feel such a yearning. I can't bear the death. And I want to compensate for that to fill the space that's filled with death, with life. And therefore I'm so, I have such an urgency to do a mitzvah. I have such an urgency to pray. I have such an urgency to do good things. That which I would never have of me, I need to fill that darkness with life. emergency, today so that creates within me such a drive oh, so now the darkness itself, was it contributed a good vinegar vinegar, vinegar also brings restores life, it's vinegar it itself maybe isn't good but tempered, used with other things it creates so good, the author says in Tanya something so special, he says there are two types of delicacies God has two types of delicacies
0: God, just like, in a
1: human, just like in a human experience, we have chocolates, we have sweet, delicious cheesecake, things that are just naturally, you take, put them in the mouth and they're so good. And then you have foods that are essentially made up of very, very extreme things that are not good, they're disgusting. A raw onion, a raw garlic, these are not good tasting things. Jalapenos, straight as, they are. there are some people already that, that have developed taste for that. But essentially, these things are just not good. But when you put in with the right measure and you move it in, then it creates such delicious foods, spicy foods, which are many times far more delightful than the sweet food, which is inherently sweet. So God created all the negatives to the things that are created in the world. As the Pasach says, everything that God made is for His sake. Everything God made is for His sake. The Gam Rasha and also the wicked. Amalek, Liyoim Ra. That he will take bad and turn it into light. That from the bad will come light, will come day, will come brightness. And Amalek itself, will have these two tikkunim that we spoke about. Number one, most of Amalek is one day they won't exist. So all Amalek will be, when the day will come, we will look back at the world and we will see all the Amalek of the world. What are they all about? What is Amalek? What is the meaning of all the Amalek in all darkness? is that something that presented itself to be against God, it, it evaporated, it disappeared, it doesn't exist anymore. So we see clearly, it's proven that they can't be anything but God. Number two, the Gemara says, from the grandchildren of Haman, they study Torah in the neighbor. Which means that there are some parts of Amalek that even can be used, transformed, and become holy, as, it studied, as they too study Torah. So there's only two things in this world. There is that which is obvious good, and that there is that which is not obvious good, but but will be made good. But isn't that the most amazing, amazing thought? We're living in a world that is absolutely good. And when we can take a look at all of existence from the highest to the lowest, at all of time, at everything, those things that we don't see yet, it's goodness, as we peel away and we peel away and we peel away, in the end we will see, Everything was an expression of one singular, essentially, infinite, good God and all of creation was one absolute blessing. Then when we go out to wage war against our Yitzhara, we spoke in the beginning, we asked, how can you be on top of your enemy? How can you be above your enemy? What's your advantage on your enemy? Very simple. We are on the winning team. You know for sure, without any doubt, that no matter what, you're going to win. It's, the, the war can only go one way; you can win. And when you know an absolute thing, because even your enemy is, is is only there as the means to express and to enable. It, he only exists so should he should be defeated. That's his only purpose of existing. That you should be that alovechir and then you can have the full experience of the memory of Shabbos. And you can have the memory of a molek and the two complement each other. In other words, that notion and that feeling that there's two that there is only one reality, and that's Hashem. Shabbos, all the things that, that, are, that, that are good and holy, that's one memory and one thing to bear in mind. A molek the understanding that, that, that it's vinegar, and that vinegar too comes from on and it has the quality of supporting life. And that's the meaning, let me just conclude, that's what Boish Shoram said, the Both of them are two cups. They're both cups. What's a cup? A cup is a vessel for godliness. Now he's not saying this, he's not saying that Amalek is a vessel. Amalek is not a container for God. Amalek as he is needs to be destroyed. What it means is the 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 memory, the mitzvah of remembering Shabbos is a cup to think, to to realize God's presence in the world. It's a cup, it's a vessel, it's a container, it's a mitzvah that contains godliness. The same is also the mitzvah to eradicate Amalek, that too is a container, a vessel that facilitates and holds godliness. How does this vessel hold godliness? By By the understanding that that, the very, that, what, what, that, that vinegar, too, has its purpose and its source and its ultimate purpose to be used to garnish and to bring about the, the ultimate tasty food, the ultimate tasty dish that all of humanity creates for Hashem and creates for ourselves. and we merit that all negativity should be transformed and we should get to see the two cups. Imagine, at the end of days, looking at all of creation as these two magnificent, cups to receive Hashem's ultimate blessing, and we merit to see that now.